Okay, so good morning everyone and everyone that's with us online and I feel like we have a nice full service today. Don't let the uh, powers that be hear that, but uh, here we are in the final week of our month on self-care and discerning what that means in our lives as believers. How it is that we process this this trendy movement that we see, this treat yourself movement in self-care and what it proposes as good or useful in our lives. Discerning where the focus lies in, in, in this kind of ideology um, versus where we're called to keep our focus uh, as God's people. So, quick recap as I do. We spent time in our opening week uh, familiarizing ourselves with uh, prescribed medications, as you recall, the prescribed medications of the world when it comes to um, self-care. These, these, uh, yeah, these faulty prescriptions that uh, don't even begin to address the, the issues that we face, real issues that we face, because they only serve as, as um, what do they serve as? Distractions and disassociations from our problems. They're inwardly focused, recall, they're inwardly focused on a broken self, and so we can't be reliable in fixing brokenness. A broken machine can't be fixed with broken parts or parts that simply don't belong. So that was week one. And then we moved on in our second week uh, to debunking this you know, cultural myth of me time. As people, we pursue the idea that our time is our time, right? Our time, uh, free to pursue whatever pleasures, free to pursue whatever vices uh, we so choose. We remove God from our lives of leisure rather than asking ourselves the important question of how we can glorify God in all things, even the simplest of things, even the seemingly meaningless things in our lives. We completely leave God out of that equation. We're not called to be switched off at any time, as you recall. And then last week we talked about rest. The way we're taught to think about time and the way we rest is a mentality of depletion rather than restoration. So culture has the idea of rest inverted, if you recall, I was talking about. We're called to rest in anything but God. Once again, we, we take God out of the equation of rest and we're taught to um, find rest in, in those prescribed medications and find peace in those things. And if we can't find rest in these empty sources that you know, our culture would have us um, follow or believe or use, then we're told to just stay busy, right? And we talked about this, this sort of idol of busyness. Because staying busy is seen as culturally good. It's a culturally good thing to be busy. We fall into an inverted, once again, an inverted rhythm of rest where we, we work, 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 work to achieve rest rather than resting and using that as a source to go and work for God. So there's, a, there's an inversion in the way that we view rest. We don't find it in God um, and move outward from there. We we find it in ourselves and by our own self-merits, and we work to rest rather than work from a place of rest. And we, we talked about like the, uh, the creation narrative and what we see there. Rest is a, is a gift from God. It's part of his creative design, and it's ordained by him rather than a reward of 
uh, our own self-merit. So that was last week. So one, two, three, and here we are in week number four. So we've learned that the self-care model uh, has proven only one thing so far in our culture, and that's that it's broken. It's misguided, it's misfocused, it's misprescribed, it invests poorly, it's all these things that we've been talking about. It's, up, it's upside down in all ways that we can tell, all ways that we've been focusing on this month in February. There's no God in the self-care movement. There's no place for him in culture. Discernment of these things, though, should push us to, you know, a more articulate and biblical worldview if we're thinking about these things. So a final touch point on our, on our topic of self-care this month. It's no doubt uh, a hot-button topic <laughs> with a wide variety of emotional responses and personal attachments and, um, you know, you name it. But it's one that requires some discernment and certainly some, some slowness before we are quick to make decisions about it. So how do we medicate to glorify God? That's a hot-button issue. How do we medicate to glorify God? How do we think about medication? What does the Bible have to say? What's presented in terms of uh, how the people in Scripture are, you know, interact with this kind of thing? The Bible has something to say, and culture has something to say as well. So that's what we're going to attempt to talk about today. What's our response to that? How are we discerning of that? How are we analyzing our hearts and our minds in how we view medication? So stick with me, if you will. <laughs> I'm going to attempt to provide us some grounds for productive discussion after service. Please don't summarily reject me before I begin. Because it'd be easy to. I think I get that. <clears throat> I'm not stoked to talk about it, if it helps. <laughs> but it's something we need to consider. So remember this again from week one, a quote that I shared. If we look carefully at the core of self-care, it exalts self truly above a lasting solution for our mental and emotional struggles. It acts as a band-aid for the pain that we feel and pursues the quickest solution available no matter how selfish it seems. At the end of the day, we all want permanent relief from our stress, anxiety, fear, hurt, depression, exhaustion, all of these things. Pursues the quickest solution available. Cue medication in our culture. Cue the use of medication in our culture. What better solution, what better answer to our stress to our anxiety, to our fear, all these things that are mentioned, depression, exhaustion, what better solution than a quick pill? You know, it's part of your morning routine, it's part of your nightly routine, you have your Sunday through Saturday box, you know, what better solution to these things, these problems, than medication? It's easy as you like, quick as you like, you don't even really have to think about it. It's completely normalized and, and so on. So the truth is that the self-care movement leans in on this in our, in our daily lives, leans in on this aspect of self-care in our daily lives. The truth is that we are a culture that is quick to medicate, overly medicated, uh, in an effort to reduce, at all costs, any sort of uncomfortability, any kind of suffering whatsoever we 
have a quick solution to that, and it's called medication. Everything can be fixed with some sort of medicine, some sort of drug for our woes, uh, for the, for the um, pursuit of our own happiness. What better answer to our overused and abused mental health dilemma that's, you know, quick to be labeled? What better answer to that than a medicine for our minds? At best, a Band-Aid. At best, a Band-Aid for, in many cases, our own self-generated, there's a word for that, autogenic, our own self-generated problems. Oftentimes, our reluctance or outright refusal to deal with our own sin, our refusal to repent, but ready to excuse with some drug. Medication. Since the cultural self-care can't offer a meaningful solution in a broken self, as we know, as we've talked about, it looks for an outside means, and it looks for that, and it leans in on that on the use of medication as a solution. And we're encouraged to view it as good, as healthy, as you don't be ashamed if you have to do this thing, if you have to take this thing, if you have to rely on this thing. It's good, and it's a healthy alternative. Where is God in that? You haven't heard at all. A survey from a few years back, just a couple years back, um, reported that 275 million people worldwide uh, experienced an anxiety disorder, and of those 275 million, 268 million experienced what they would have labeled on themselves as depression. And for the same year, the National Institute of Health here in our country, in, the, in America, reported that 16.2 million American adults, particularly in a, a young adult age range from like 18 to 30, had at least one major depressive episode that they reported. Medication rises out of this rubble, and it's not a new thing. It's been going on for many years, but remember we're, we're thinking about the lens of self-care, but medication rises out of this rubble, and it latches on to that train of self-care. Remember what I said a few weeks ago about self-care and what, you know, the whole train analogy and stuff, and I talked about it last year. On its surface, right, the idea of self-care sounds nice, it sounds reasonable, it sounds innocent enough, but we have to examine it closely and discern what's really going on behind the scenes of that, of this seemingly innocuous agenda that this train is carrying and what it implies about what we can and what we should prescribe, so literally prescribe to our lives when it comes to this, this medication, this overly medicated culture. So I want to clarify real quick up front to be clear what I um, am referring to, at least on some regard. I'm talking about medication of and for the mind. Psychoactive, psychotropic medication, as it's called. So roughly speaking, like we can understand medication in two types. One being like supplementarily, supplement, supplementary? Yeah, supplementary to, you know, our, our bodily output. For example, if a person is, you know, born not producing enough insulin, right, they have to take insulin shots um, to, you know, live healthy, as is the case for diabetics. Um, the use of this type of medicine helps our body function as it should. Uh, we live in the Pacific Northwest. Maybe you're taking a vitamin D supplement because the sun doesn't want to hang out with us here. I'm not talking about that when I'm talking about society, when I'm talking about culture's overuse of medication. I'm not talking about your vitamin D supplements. I'm not talking about 
your need for insulin because you were born with uh, you know, an inability to produce what you need to produce to, to live healthy as the body is supposed to. Um, so you can think of these type of things um, and you know, the Jay Adams fan club out there um, might, under, might recognize some of this ver verbiage, vocabulary. You can think of these types of problems as organic in that they can happen outside of our control. Not that they always do, but they can, right? A person can be born not producing enough of this thing or that thing or with the, you know, defective this thing or that thing. I'm not talking about this type of medication, so I'm gonna be clear about that. I'm also not talking about medication or treatment um, of physical traumas, okay? So you get shot and it has to be treated. I'm not talking about medication you take for that or treatment you take for that. You cut your hand off on a table saw. It's close to home for me, almost happened this last week. I'm not talking about these types of things that result from physical trauma. You have a brain tumor and so it needs to be treated. We'll find out maybe in the coming months that there are certain things we can do to, produce, to <laughs> mitigate things like tumors and our diets. Colin will talk about food next month, but I'm not talking about this type of medication. So again, before we get riled up in ourselves <laughs> and what Adam is saying up here, clarifying. I do think we should still be wise in these things. We should still be slow in these things. We should still contemplate these things. We should still submit to God in these things. Seek God's counsel first before we jump to those things, but I want to distinguish that there is categories of medication, and I'm not talking about the former here. But the use of <coughs> mind medications, psychoactive drugs, which disable the body from functioning as it should, mood-changing drugs, that affect a person in such a way that the benefits of a certain pain or a certain unpleasant feeling, God forbid we have unpleasant feelings, and address where those come from, mood-changing medications that um, affect those things where we can't realize the source of unpleasant feelings of certain pains in our lives. Discomfort was designed to call attention to an underlying problem whether it be organic or non-organic, so that it can be dealt with properly. But this type of medication, this destructive medication, seeks to remedy brain-based dysfunction, and we're quick to label it that, dysfunction. You know, we're quick to cop out to this type of thing in our culture. It creates in itself, or for itself, a sort of straw man to knock down, right? You guys know what a straw man is? In arguing, you present a problem and defeat that problem rather than addressing the actual problem, and so you look, look like you're achieving something in your argument when you're not. So it creates in itself a straw man to knock down rather than address the heart and minds of a real issue, which I just mentioned a second ago. In our mission to self-care, it treats itself as the solution to non-organic issues, self-generated, autogenic, self-generated problems that have manifested because of something or some sin we're running from rather than addressing, confessing, and repenting of. When you're feeling unpleasant, when you feel anxious, when you feel depressed, when you feel fearful, all these things, are you dealing with those problems with Christ 
with God's word as your weapon, or do you numb it, do you dismiss it with medication, because that's the culture's method. Is suffering, even a self-generated suffering, a refusal to acknowledge, confess, and repent of sin, your enemy, or do you turn it into a means of sanctifying yourselves? When you're feeling unpleasant, when you feel those things, you know, the gamut of things, are you dealing with those problems in a biblical way? The former, you know, treating it to numb it and dismiss it is society's and our expert minds' uh, prescription for the problem. This is the goal of our overly, our overly medicated culture when it comes to self-care. It doesn't address the problems in ourselves, it simply numbs them uh, and treats the symptoms. It doesn't treat the issue, it treats the symptoms, which en it enables us to ignore the root problem, which never actually fixes things for us. So, again, let's consider these things as we, we, begin, we continue to talk about it. What perspectives from Scripture are worth considering then? Scripture shows us that God cares about, he does care about, relief of suffering, while at the same time blessing us with suffering. So it's a nuanced approach. Imagine that. It's not a, it's not a, a legalistic thing. It's not an all-or-nothing thing. There's nuance in this just like many things. We're shown through Christ's ministry that he was many things. He did many things, healing being one of them. The Gospels, the book of Acts, I'll record this, you know, read about it. I didn't develop a full list of all the healing miracles that Christ did. Um, but he went about healing people's physical ailments, you know, most of which you might classify in that first category, the, the organic category, but uh, the exception maybe being the, the demon-possessed things he was dealing with. But relief of suffering, the point, the relief of suffering is good and is necessary and is part of the scripture narrative, right? This is this is where we're heading, right? This is the plan God has, is to relieve suffering once and for all. In a new heaven, and a new earth, there will be no crying, there will be no pain. This is what scripture says. So, relief from suffering is good. But, you see a second thread of teaching also in scripture. God's design to redeem the experience of suffering for believers because of their union with Christ. Christ is the suffering servant. By the fact that we are united with Christ in our salvation, we are united with him. First Peter talks about us being partnered with him in our suffering as well. And this is a truth we all accept when we come to Christ, when we accept Christ, when we submit ourselves to Christ. It's one of the things that we take on. And it's a consistent message we see in New Testament scripture. Romans talks about it. 2 Corinthians talks about it. I mentioned 1 Peter. Colossians talks about it. James talks about it. It's consistent. It's there. Look it up. Seeking relief, simply seeking relief without a vision for God's sovereignty in the midst of suffering, it falls short of God's design for us, God's sanctifying process for us. It falls short of our partnership with Christ in being Sanctified. Once again, just like many things this month we've been talking about, it would seem to me that it boils down to an issue of faith and focus in terms of where we place uncomfortability in our lives. Secular self-care, secular self-care wants to 
arm us with medication. Arm us with medication to combat our ailments rather than adopt a biblical approach. I talked about it in a sermon last year, or maybe it was 2019. I think we were talking about what we're entitled to. I think that was last year. What we're entitled to, how do we choose to go about our suffering as believers? And I asked the question in a sermon I gave, do we suffer well? And that's a foreign, foreign concept in our culture, and even in our Christian culture. Do we suffer well? Or do you seek absolute comfortability at any, at all costs, regardless of what aspect of your walk it might compromise? We treat medication as an idol. Our culture takes the relief that medication offers and turns it into an idol, literally a savior. We see apologists for antidepressants. Does anyone watch WandaVision? There was a, you know how they do like their fake commercials, which we're still trying to figure out what those mean. Um, there's some sort of Easter eggs in there. There was one a couple episodes back of, of an antidepressant, you know, take this so you don't have to face reality, so you don't have to face the truth of things. It's, it's there. It's in our culture. It's in pop culture. We see apologists for antidepressants rather than for God, literally, again, as the source of salvation, as the... Uh, as the means to live a healthy and productive daily life. Just take this thing. How a person responds when they see their medication work or not work can reveal a certain posture we take before God, where we place our ultimate hope. We need to analyze our motives when we're talking about medication, when we're discerning the use of medication in regards to our lives. Again, we're quick to referral people to medication immediately without wanting to examine desires, fears, thoughts, sinful choices, sinful lifestyle. We quickly want to medicate rather than address these things and be holistic in our worldview. We'd simply rather treat symptoms than address the vulnerable issue because we don't want to be vulnerable. It's just easier to do it this way. It's just quicker, you know? It's, it's what allows me to get back to me. It's what allows me to stay on my track to my idea of care. We don't want to submit to God in that, and even in our medication. And this is the secular method. Quick, easy, Band-Aid fix of symptoms rather than addressing an issue that's present, a real issue that's present. <clears throat> gives the illusion that the issue has subsided and that no further work is required. And that's what it is, it's an illusion. Those people that are on these things, many times, and again, I'm not a doctor, and I don't claim to be, consider, is, is where I'm coming from today, consider this, but the people that are on these medications, they stay on for the rest of their lives because it never actually addresses a real issue in their life, it just it treats the symptoms. Who needs to rely on God to be admonished and disciplined in his word when you can just take a pill to make it go away? The pain, the exhaustion, the fear, the sinful thoughts, the stray thoughts. Suppress it all down. Take a medication. Then you have people who are prideful and swing the pendulum. You know, they don't want to take anything because it, 
it's a source of pride, you know, they, they feel like they shouldn't have to, like they have it within themselves to do all these things. You see unfortunate stories of families whose kid is dying and they have a misinformed view of, of things and they want to say that if it's God's will, he'll heal this person. Again, I think this reflects a certain posture before God. The main problem with medication is how it's been misused in our day and age, and it completely, like these other things we've talked about, rest and time and uh, what, we, what we lean in on in our self-care, you know, the squirrel methods and all this stuff, <laughs> it, it cuts out God. God is not part of medication in our lives. There's no need for God. We don't need to rely on him. We don't need to trust in him. We don't need to humble ourselves before him, submit these things to him, ask for wisdom, be slow in these things. We're quick. We're just quick firing, quick response to these things. A quote, we live in a culture that doesn't tolerate any hint, I like this quote, we live in a culture that doesn't tolerate any hint of rough seas, but yearns for the comfort of a glassy, calm water. This contributes to the overuse of psycho psychoactive medication and some who want to only a quick fix, they don't really want to taste the fruit that comes from persevering through choppy waters. Which maybe it'd be better like, they don't wanna catch the real fish that, that, that on the other side of choppy waters. But I like it. They yearn for the comfort of a glassy calm water. Medication is used to induce artificial chains, a product of chemistry rather than spiritual change in our lives, like taking drugs or alcohol because it makes you feel good, and it's good for a time, as long as it's in the bloodstream, but the true cause for the problem is still there. It remains untreated. Again, it's hard to nail down a clear-cut rule formula, law, that we are called to live by when it comes to how we should view medication, and I don't think that's what God would want for us. I don't think that's ever what he wants for us. Um, we're, we're free to live outside of that, right? Scripture is nuanced in its approach. Paul prescribes medication to Timothy in the form of wine, for example, and in the same breath, he admonishes people for being careful on how they use wine. He refers to Luke as a beloved doctor, while at the same time, not Paul, but in the Old Testament, while at the same time, Scripture talks about King Asa as condemned to his faith solely in his physicians rather than returning back to God. This is in 2 Chronicles. King Asa was a king for a long time, and he, as they do, started to turn away from God, to start seeking you know, wisdom and and all these things, and things, and worldly things, and, and pagan ideas, and all these things, and King Asa eventually got to a point that he had like a nasty foot disease, like maybe his foot was rotting away or something. Scripture implies that this, is, this was an opportunity for King Asa to turn back to God and um, trust in him, and instead he trusts solely, it says, it's very specific, trusted solely in the physician. So at the same time, Luke is referred to as a beloved doctor, we have another example in King Asa. <clears throat> physicians are called Joseph's servants in Genesis chapter 50. And the word for physicians is the same word used to describe God as our healer in Exodus, for example. Once again, the implication is that physicians are doing a good work for God's people as an extension of God's healing ministry. 
Proverbs references medicine several times, many times in a positive fashion. Jeremiah references the use of medicine as a way for Babylon to be healed, metaphorically, but the metaphor doesn't work unless it's drawing on something that's an implied positive to convey the, the prophecy that Jeremiah is, is giving. Ezekiel and Isaiah and Revelations, and the list goes on, talking about medications being viewed positively, but only through a godly context first, as a gift ordained by God, not as a substitution for God, not as the source of salvation, not as an excuse to dismiss sin. So we need to be discerning of the tendency that we have in our culture when it comes to our self-care of how we rely on medicines to treat emotional, behavioral issues which may forfeit a spiritual benefit that comes with wrestling with certain things, certain sufferings, certain sins that needs to be addressed and confronted and confessed and repented of, things that are intended for a spiritual benefit. We live in a chemically induced state, again, of artificial contentment that delays an inevitable spiritual growth that we're called to have in God. In general, the Bible teaches that God allows people to experience the consequence of, of our errors so that we can turn back to him, turn back to our ways, seek his counsel, as was the case in King Asa. And that what he wants for us, or is that what he wants for us, to experience these, these consequences? Of course not. <clears throat> but he allows us to, to use these things in order to turn back to him. I'm going to end with many questions here, none of which Colin are going to be able to probably jot down because I'm going to go fast. But I'll post them to the thread. He can copy and paste them for our video. But consider this in our discussions. Is medicine bad? I don't think so. Not as a whole, but also maybe it is. Is medicine good? Yeah, but also maybe it isn't. Where do we place our relationship with God in our discernment of how we medicate? Do we submit to him all things, including whether or not we should pursue this medication? Remember, I'm not talking about you have to take your vitamin D supplement. It's not the issue I'm talking about. Do we allow medication to get in the way of God? Do we use medication as a savior to our symptoms rather than a means for glorifying God in our repentance of some sin? Is it an idol? Like all things, we have to interrogate our motives. Are they pure before God? Do we earnestly seek to do what is right and putting that before him? Or is he not even part of that decision-making process in your lives? Is that conversation not even had? Are you King Asa? Is your answer to self-care an immediate turn to medicating so that you can feel better? Does medication impede your sanctifying process? Does it completely cut suffering out of your lives? Does it undercut the unification we're supposed to have in Christ in that? Do we medicate so that we don't have to acknowledge a spiritual deficit in our lives? Do we inoculate ourselves against the Spirit's conviction? Is our goal simply to avoid and suppress God, as it says in Romans? 
let this be a springboard for our discussion now in cell groups. As I said, I'll post all of that on the thread. Um, but let's talk about where, we, where we're at, where we're personally at, how we see the culture interacting with this, um, our own struggle with this. Um, yeah, thanks for a sermon month, and uh, I'm off to Hawaii after cell groups. No, tomorrow. Uh, yeah, let's go discuss. <laughs>